Glad to see you back tonight. We'll be in First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. Um, one more reflection on the topic of Thanksgiving. Got so many scriptures marked in my Bible. I had to figure out which one of them was First Thessalonians. And uh, but uh, one more reflection on Thanksgiving tonight. And uh, you know, I'm reminded though, one of my favorite Thanksgiving cartoons, um, Peanuts. And uh, you've got um, Snoopy and and Charlie Brown, and it says, um, Charlie Brown says, looks at Snoopy and says, you know, it could be worse. I could be the turkey. It can always be worse, you know. There's always something worse than our current situation. And so Thanksgiving is an attitude we always need to have because it could always be worse. So tonight we're going to look at... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at a passage of scripture I alluded to this morning. And just reinforcing again, I mean, this is a concept as Christians we all ought to know. We all ought to have already in our knowledge bank, especially as the Sunday night church crowd. We already ought to know. If this is a Wednesday night church crowd, I probably wouldn't even go this far on it. But no. But we all already ought to know this, but we just you know, sometimes just need to be reminded that as Christians, Thanksgiving is not about the turkey or the holiday or just the one day. It's really about a way of life. And I don't think we can be reminded of that too often. So let's look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking it up in verse 12. Paul says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among, uh, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be back tonight to look into your word. And even if this is a refresher course message, I pray that uh, you'll speak to us in a new way. You'll help us to leave here uh, reinvigorated to live a life that truly is full of gratefulness and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we look back over the, the first part of this chapter, Paul is urging Christians to be alert in the days ahead. So you know what? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back like a thief in the night. So always be alert. And as you're always being alert, remember your relationships that you have. He talks about there uh, first uh, three different sets of relationships there. We're only going to look at one, but three different sets of relationships there in the text we looked at. First, he talked about the relationship you have with the pastor and how to treat your pastor. Now, let me just stop for just a second. And because uh, we just had a conversation like this in Financial Peace University. Uh, tonight, the last lesson in Financial Peace University is about giving. And maybe that won't scare you away from wanting to ever go through the class. But um, in it, he talked about how he goes all over the country and he goes and sees these churches and, and, and he counsels, does financial counseling and that sort of stuff. And he talked about how poorly pastors are paid all over the country. You know, how people are leaving the ministry because they get burnt out, because so much is expected of them as a pastor, and then 
very little is received. And I'm going to stop and say, you all treat your pastors wonderfully. Brother Eric says that all the time. I'll echo it. And, uh, you know, I, we're not underpaid. We'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, we, we are so blessed, and, uh, and I feel so blessed to be here and to be treated the way you all uh, treat uh, me and Mary and our family. And I know Brother Eric and Ms. Sharon them feel the same way. And so, but, but Paul talks about how to treat the pastor. Um, you know, apparently that's something some people need to hear. And, um, but that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. So we'll move on. So then in verses 14 and 15, he talks about how to treat other believers. And, you know, looking around and seeing the way you work and seeing the way that, that we interact in this church, it's amazing, you know, not wanting to jinx anything. So we'll knock on wood or something. But it's amazing to see the way that you treat each other. You know, um, that doesn't happen in a lot of churches, the way it happens here. That everybody treats each other with respect, and, and we get along so well. So, so we're not going to talk about that either tonight. We're going to talk about the last part, the last relationship set he talks about. Started, it starts in verse 16 and follows, where he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, what relationship are we talking about there? As we're talking about our relationship with God, thanksgiving is all an attitude of thanksgiving is all about our relationship with God. We have an attitude of thanksgiving, a genuine attitude of thanksgiving. We're content and we're able to be thankful for the things we have. It has nothing to do really with our relationship with other people. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is not right, our relationship with other people is not going to be right. And so thanksgiving has to do with our relationship with God. So we're going to focus on those three verses relating to our relationship with God tonight and uh, see how those highlight a thankful heart. So the first thing we see there in verse 16, he says, Rejoice always. So thanksgiving includes joy. That's what we talked about this morning, that the secret to joy is contentment. You cannot have joy absent contentment. So thanksgiving always includes joy. And I'll tell you, there's never a time when joy is uh, inappropriate. You say, well, what about at a funeral? What, okay, what kind of joy do you have? Do you have joy that the person's gone? Did they annoy you? No, that's not the kind of joy we have. That's not joy, okay? He's talking about being happy, being, joy, being truly joyful in the Lord. Say, yeah, you have to be happy at the funeral of a fellow Christian. Let me tell you, when I attend the funeral of somebody that I know is saved, I am joyful. Because you know what? I hate to admit this, you know, maybe sometimes we almost get a little jealous. Well, they're not having to put up with the stuff in the world that we have to put up with anymore, you know? Look at what they're getting to experience, and we should be joyful. You say, but maybe things don't always go my way. Well, it's never an excuse. Over in Philippians chapter 4, our text from this morning, if we'd have backed up to the beginning, we would have read in verse 4 where Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And just so we didn't get confused, he said, and again, I say rejoice. So joy is always a part of thanksgiving. You know, joy also takes the burden out of service. Sometimes we say, you know what, it's not enough hours in the day, and I've got to go over here and help this person. It's such a burden. No, when we're joyful about it, it removes 
the burden. And we see that if we were to look over in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, you know, they're rebuilding the wall and people are getting, you know, they're, they're out doing their work of service and they're getting burdened down, they're getting just tired. And, and Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy takes the burden out of service. The way we serve God and the way we serve other people, when we're joyful, it's something we enjoy doing. Think about that. You ever not like doing something that you're joyful about? No. Joy takes the burden out of service. And I say, God doesn't just love a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful servant. So if we ever find ourselves serving, and we'll put that in air quotes, because I think if you're doing it begrudgingly, you're not really serving. But if we ever find ourselves trying to serve, and we find ourselves having that uh, begrudging attitude, I think we need to check our relationship with God. Because when we're truly serving, there ought to be joy. And joy is not something we can manufacture. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Over in Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits with an S, but the fruit of the Spirit. When Jesus Christ indwells us and we allow him to, to, to live in and through us and we go about doing his work and it says he produces fruit which includes joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all those, you know. You can't say, well, this is just the way I am. I'm just an unhappy person. People just get on my nerves. No, not if you're a Christian. That's not just the way you are because that's not who you are. If Jesus Christ is living inside of you, the Bible says he is producing fruit, which includes joy. The list there in the fruit of the Spirit is not pick and choose. It's this is what Jesus should produce in and through us when we allow him to do that. So although we cannot manufacture it, we can certainly suppress it. And I certainly don't want to suppress the fruit that God wants to produce in my life. Jesus says, you know, that, that he is the vine. And when we are connected to the vine, we produce much fruit. You know, here's the vine. If we're connected to this, our lives, as we live this, our lives produce fruit, which has to include joy. And so if you find yourself sitting around all the time just being bitter and angry and, and mad at the world, you check your relationship with God. Because part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And joy is part of a life of thanksgiving. Joy is a result of sur surrender to God, allowing Him to take control of our lives. So step one in living a life that models thanksgiving is to be joyful, always. And again I say, rejoice, right? Some of y'all need to smile more. <laughs> be joyful. Okay, that's just the way you are. I know, no, no, I'm kidding. Second thing, verse 17. He says, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Thanksgiving involves prayer. A life of thanksgiving and a heart of thanksgiving cannot take place absent prayer. It's a, cruci it's a crucial part of not just the daily Christian walk, but the moment-by-moment -moment Christian walk. And we know, I mean, we know just 
uh, being people who come to church, a Sunday night crowd especially, that pray without ceasing does not mean we walk around uttering prayers all the time, you know, out loud or in our head or whatever, but it's we have a constant communication line open with God. It means we, we constantly and we, we're, we regularly pray about everything, not just running to him for an, as an emergency hotline, right? I mean, he's not, he, he's not just our 911. Look what Jesus said over in uh, Luke uh, chapter 11. It's one of my clips here. Luke chapter 11, Jesus talks about praying. In Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5, this parable, he says, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and and give to him because uh, he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And if we were reading this more closely in the original language, it's, you know, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. We're talking about the friend at midnight. I'm telling you, last night we were coming back from Shreveport. And uh, it was about midnight. We were coming past Robert and Luana's house, you know. And Miranda was riding shotgun there in the bus. And I said, I wonder what happened when we stopped. I wasn't even thinking about this, but, <laughs> you know, just have that thought. I wonder what happened when we stopped and knocked on their door at midnight. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you told us to go away. I'm in bed. Or, you know, at that point, I was just thinking, I was just, I mean, I've been happy stopping and just crashing at their place for a little while. You know, it's midnight, and I was ready to go to bed. But uh, anyway, getting back to the, to the sermon, uh, Jesus, Jesus says, look, here's what it's talking about. God is not just our emergency hotline that we just go to at the midnight hour when we've got a problem. It's the, he's the one we go to constantly. We ask and we keep on asking. We knock and we keep on knocking all the time. Stay in constant communication with the Father, not just when there's an emergency. Because think about it. That fed-up neighbor, if he'll finally get up and give something to you, and he doesn't even like you at this point because you've gotten him out of the bed, probably woke his kids up because they all slept in the common area there, and he's probably mad. It'd make me mad, especially when Truett was younger and somebody would ring the doorbell early in the morning or something. You know, the Jehovah's Witness come knocking on the door on Saturday morning and Truett's asleep. Let me tell you, that would make you mad, right? Waking your kid up. This guy's probably pretty mad being woken up at midnight, but yet he still gave. So if that guy still gave, imagine what God gives us if we just ask him. And we don't even have to really, we don't have to bug him. But we should be persistent in prayer, persistent in prayer. So we see also as we look through Scripture that prayer and thanksgiving are connected in other ways. Over in Philippians 4, uh, verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. 
prayer and thanksgiving are directly connected. And as we, if we continue reading on to verse 7, we see the result. The result of prayer and thanksgiving being connected is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so when we pray with thanksgiving and we have that attitude of thanksgiving, we have peace because guess what else is connected to peace? Contentment. You see how it's all tied together. It's all tied together. And even when we don't know the outcome, we still ought to thank him in prayer. We still ought to thank him in prayer, claiming that peace of God. Last part here, verse 18. So we're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you is to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in everything. But thanksgiving includes everything. That's what verse 18 is telling us. It doesn't exclude, it includes rejoicing, it includes prayer, and it includes being thankful for everything. Are we to really give thanks for everything? Yes. Yes, even when the world says we're completely falling apart, there's something for us to be thankful for. Thankfulness, thanklessness, not thankfulness, thanklessness, being ungrateful, you know what that's a trait of? Well, let's just look over in Romans chapter 1. Don't take my word for it. Let's take God's word for it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ungratefulness, not being thankful, is a characteristic of a godless person. That's what Paul is telling us there. When, when we choose to be ungrateful towards God, we're acting just like a godless person. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 1, Paul again writes, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You see the group of people that Paul lumps unthankful people in with? I don't want to be associated with any of those other groups of people. He talks about people who are unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. And right in there amongst all that, he lumps in unthankful people. Unthankful people. Godless people are unthankful people. And again, as I mentioned this morning, we don't fully comprehend how good we've got it. Did mention this morning that, of course, if you make, I think it was $34,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. And Joe and I were talking about this a little earlier, and it dawned on me I forgot to turn that around and say that if you make $34,000 a year or more, you make more money than 99% of the world. It's one thing to say you're in the top 1%. It's something else to say you make more than 99% of the rest of the people in the world. And I don't know how many people in the world. I meant to look that up. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of them just in China, you know? And I mean, the billions, I don't know. There's a lot of people in the world. And we're very, very blessed. We don't need to become like what uh, the, the apostasy that Paul predicted here in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. We don't need to forget what, who God is. And he gives us the ability to have everything that we have. We need to give thanks to God for what he's allowed us to have every day of the year, not just on the last Thursday of November. Paul said, rejoice, pray, give thanks. Why? Because it's the will of God that we do that. It's God's will that as believers we rejoice, we pray, and we give thanks. It's not God's will that we be sad. It's not God's will that we be silent towards him, and it's not God's will that we be ungrateful. So, how do we apply this to our lives as we move out from here? First of all, make a commitment to find joy in everything. Everything. You're having, tomorrow's, tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow's Monday after a holiday weekend. Let me tell you, you might go to work and somebody there got tackled during Black Friday shopping and they're going to be in a bad mood. Find joy. It's going to storm tomorrow too. Thunderstorms move in on the Monday after the holiday weekend. Find joy. We need the rain, right? I mean, come on, let's find joy in something. Make time to pray. You know, I was listening to a preacher not long ago and said, uh, I don't do this, but said, um, do you act, this pastor asked the question of his congregation, do you take out, when you're put, you got your calendar, especially business people, they have their calendar. When I worked at the university, I had my calendar on my computer, and we shared calendars within the office. We could all see each other's calendar, and, you know, our calendars were generally pretty full. This preacher said, if you don't put time with God on your calendar, it won't happen. Like, make time to pray. Whether you actually write it in and block off time on the calendar, pray. Make time to pray. And, of course, the last way we apply this is to always find a reason to give thanks. Whatever the situation is, whether it's Monday tomorrow or whether something comes up on Tuesday or whatever's happening, 
you start to complain about it, you start to gripe about it, stop. Find something good and give thanks. There's always something for which we can be thankful. Even in the deepest valleys of life, there's something to be thankful for.